0: I mean, He's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 18 of Putting in Work. I'm John Peck and I have a very special guest today. I say I feel like I say that every week. I have a lot of special guests, but this one is special because it's not a friend of mine. It's someone that I've been watching on TV and listening to on the radio since I was like 14 years old. It's John Safran. Uh, John Safran is now an author of a new book called Depends What You Mean by Extremist. Uh, He previously wrote a true crime story, Murder in Mississippi. Uh, But I grew up with John in John Safran's Music Jamboree and John Safran vs. God and listening to him on Triple J. He started off as kind of a TV prankster and uh, started to, I guess, explore more serious issues with uh, religion and politics as the years went on. Uh, But he's always been a very entertaining and very funny clever guy, and the way that he uh, pokes and prods at the extremist groups of Australia's political culture in this book is really entertaining and interesting. He's sitting down with neo-Nazis, ISIS sympathizers, some people who've appeared in court and been in prison since the book came out, so you know that they're some interesting characters to say the least. I actually got this interview because I reached out to John Safran's publicity group a while ago just kind of on a whim hoping that he would say yes for some reason and then it just kind of worked out well with the timing that he had his book coming out but that means I did have to talk a lot more about the new book compared to all the questions I have about the things he's done before but that's fine that's how it works I still managed to get in some of my usual questions for putting in work so here is Scrabble aficionado John Safran enjoy the show how's the day going
1: good um of interviews and about to go off to have dinner with Rabbi Gutnik who's in the book.
0: Yeah. Has he read it?
1: Yeah, he's read it. So he obviously doesn't hate it, because he's invited me to for Shavuot <laughs> dinner, which is a Jewish festival.
0: Do you think he'll uh, tell you all the things you got wrong,
1: though? No, we've already had that discussion, <laughs> where he doesn't think I've got anything wrong. He just He's like, oh... I've got to learn to shut my mouth next time.
0: Yeah. Is that something that happens where you've spent a lot of time with a bunch of these people? Do they each contact you after the book's out and say, you know, good good job or what are you stitching me up for?
1: Yeah, there's a bit of that. Like, no, not really stitching up or whatever. Usually, <laughs> I don't know, most, most people are like really happy because I, I sort of aren't trying to really stitch them up. And yeah, so most people are happy, but obviously some people aren't, but... You know, what am I meant to do?
0: You've got the dictaphone that doesn't lie.
1: Yeah, and also also in this in this particular incident incidents or situation, like these people really put themselves out there. Not like, I mean, Rabbi Gutnick's a regular guy or whatever for a rabbi, but for these mm. more radical people, like, it's too late in the day. You know what I mean? Like, they've... Put themselves so-
0: Yeah. They've said worse things than what they've probably told you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they put themselves out. It's too late for them to sulk.
0: I suppose with the timing of this book, which is probably something that a lot of interviewers will bring up, with Trump and everything, it, it's the, the, all these extremists are so much more prominent in the news. That's really, did you look that as something where you'd struck gold? Or was it kind of annoying that the timing, you only kind of got onto the tail end of that major development?
1: No, not at all. Um, No, no, it it was you know good for the book, Uh, and it kind of I I learnt uh, that having those things floating in the background can really help a book. I I like talking about the small things. I like getting into people's lounge rooms and getting drunk at them at the pub, and like I, I like keeping it small. And I learnt that you can still keep it small, but having these big things. Floating in the background really adds energy to everything, and you get to see how your characters are ricocheting off world events. And I guess, in a way, how you know, in the case of Pauline Hanson, at least, how she ricocheted off these people on the street. So yeah, no, there was mm. no no downside to it or, or at all.
0: It's probably got to help the promotion side because a lot of these ideas are so much more in people's consciousness, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I guess. But I'm, you... sure, I'm sure I would have worked out something had Trump not got elected or whatever.
0: <laughs> have you been following all these groups that you've interviewed since you've written the book and since, I guess, Trump's rise?
1: Yeah, I mean, just casually, far more casually than I did when I was researching the book. But yeah, you know, I, I saw mm. that Neil Erickson, who was the guy convicted of uh, stalking the rabbi that I'm having dinner with tonight. And was formerly a neo-Nazi and now says he's not a neo-Nazi because he's moved on from the Jews to the Muslims. I saw yesterday he'd been fired from his job in Tasmania at Toll, to the company, and he'd put up a video. And, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and if the book was still going, I would have put that in the book.
0: Did you see Blair was in uh, court last week with his mates? Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Over
0: the mock beheadings? Yeah,
1: I didn't go to that one. I went to the other pre-trial hearing or whatever and that was interesting there was lefties who turned up or, or at least anti-fascists who turned up dressed up as patriots and then there was mm. patriots had come you know the far right dressed up as muslims so the whole thing was hectic and weird and um hard to decipher unless you were a train spotter like me
0: yeah okay When I started reading this book, I just finished it today, and great job, by the way, I really enjoyed it, uh, as I did with your first book, but as soon as I started reading it, there was instantly a couple of names that I recognized, and I'm not a a huge political person, but I did remember uh, Blair Cottrell from his appearance at the dairy farmers protest last year. Oh, yeah. My, My wife's uncle was one of the ones shouting at him you're not a real farmer and you don't know what we're here for and, yeah. you know, it's not about that. Yeah. Um, and then I've interviewed Danny Nalaya before. So you've got these people who, you know, they're semi-well-known, f- fairly well-known in at least in those circles. So uh, how did you go about determining which people would be central figures in this book?
1: I guess it was going on creative instinct. I, I mean, I guess if people are like hyper-political... They won't want to hear how the sausage is made, but I don't care. I really back art and I really back that it's really a good thing that like artists, whether they're comedians or they might be in some other medium, like get out into the world and use their creative instinct to tell a story about that world. And so that's how sure. I wrote this book. It was, it was about hanging out with these people and I drift towards people because I just felt like they had this energy to them or – They had a way of expressing themselves that made me laugh. I really trusted. If I was laughing at something, or whether I was laughing darkly at it because it was so ironic, or (laughs) laughing because they were actually funny in a regular way, I I kind of like floated towards them. And then uh, I just started cobbling things together. And there there were, and and I just didn't think about it that hard. Like for instance, with the United Patriots Front. I didn't really hang out with Farmer John that much. But when I did, I just happened to bump into him at Lakemba Mosque when he ha- had some interesting stuff to say. And, like, so he became, in, in some ways, sort of like a prominent character in the book. But I actually spent way less time with him than I did with other people that kind of a, a cutting room floor. And, and then there was just yeah, things right. like, like, for instance, I hang out with the far right more than the left. Just because, oh, you know, it just seems uh, vivid and fascinating and unexpected, you know, neo-Nazis compared with hippies. So you you just like (laughs) you just like make creative choices about conflict and humor and things like that. And and definitely, it made it easier that I decided to make this book funny. Like it was almost like Mm. I decided. Like, compared with Murder in Mississippi or even with other stuff I've done, I I still haven't thought so hard about whether things are funny or not. Like, often they end up being funny, but I'm just not thinking that way. Like, in Murder in Mississippi, like, if something was interesting, you know, I'd go off and explore it. Or if someone's backstory was interesting, I'd kind of go into that. But for this, I just made a decision at the start. I'm going to keep it punchy and I'm going to make sure it's funny. Or I'm going to try to make it funny, and, and that was because a friend of mine who'd read *Murder in Mississippi* and then had read chapter one of my book when it was just because uh, that started off as a newspaper piece, and I got uh, like, and I got a lot of good feedback for that, and my friend, like in a very polite, coded way, said, "You know, like that's that's really funny, and you should do that because." lots of people can go, can go off and like explore a topic and research it and whatever but like like mo- most people would love to be able to write like something funny and so she really convinced me to like keep keep the book funny so I just followed her advice
0: yeah it seems to happen with everything that you're involved with whether or not you're trying is that 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 mad magazine yes. influence comes through yeah yeah
1: definitely but, uh. but 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 I guess in the yeah like in murder mississippi there's
0: it was more about the people you were interviewing. Yeah, yeah, that and looked-
1: there's more like earnestness or some crap like that. And this I decided zero earnestness. In fact, it was almost like the only, like there was lots of back and forth with the, over the drafts with the publisher, but there, there was a point where, because there's, there's, there's sort of like a bit of a, a writer's kind of standard practice where you pretend, oh, maybe you sincerely feel it, but you you, you kind of ask yourself, who am I as a writer? to be here? What right do I have to tell this story? It's like all Australian writers that kind of, especially in crime and non-fiction, they always have that section and I think I had a bit of that in Murder in Mississippi but this, I totally felt it was my right to tell this story for all sorts of reasons like I'm a Melbournean, I'm Jewish and so even on like some weird identity politics level, um, I just, just, not that I consider that the standard you should upheld. But even on like that, that corny identity politics level, I, I was like, no, no, this story, I should be telling it. And so I just said to the, to the editor at that point, I just said I'd kind of be faking it in a way if I pretended like, oh, who am I to tell this story about? Yeah. So I just decided not. And I also just thought, it oh, it's not funny. I, 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 I made lots of decisions in this book. Where it wasn't based on like balance or yeah. is it offensive or not offensive? It, it, it was just is this like funny or not? And and and, and I'm definitely taking that uh, um, lesson to my whatever my next thing is. It just it's just like it helps make decisions for you because it, when you're doing nonfiction, everything just goes on forever in all directions. There's like a million things you could do and there's a million different ways you could handle it and saying, I'm going to leave things on the cutting room floor if they're not funny, is a, a pretty mm. good way of like giving shape and form to a story.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of similarities between what you've done here and, and John Safran versus God, where instead of, I guess, looking at different religions, it's looking at these different extremist misfits and nutbags of every different section. Yeah. and do you feel like at the end of it, you were any closer to understanding the way these people view each other and, and themselves? Or was it more just, here's what the scope is, you weren't trying to draw any conclusions and you and you didn't come to any?
1: Oh, no, I, I, I def- definitely learned things. Like One thing I learned that helped me understand was making a distinction between the leadership in radical groups and the crowd that turns up. So the crowds that turn up can be... Any sort of people, like they could just like, to say at a far right rally, you could have people there in the crowd who are just like fed up with political correctness or something, you know, like something like fairly mainstream, but the leaders often have very radical views that they've been pursuing for a long time. And, and so the similarity between leadership on all sides, like whether it's the far right, the far left or, Radical Muslims and I'm like, I'm not making like moral, like equivalents. Like, you know, I, I I don't think if you're like on the left and you're protesting against white nationalism, you're the same as the radical white nationalist. It's not not that at all. But but I, I did notice that for the leadership, they all wanted to like upend society. Sure. Like it was it was much more than just what people around the centre think. So if you're in the centre. And on the left, you're like, oh, I wish women in hijabs weren't bullied on trains. But if you're an anarchist or a socialist, you just want to upend society. Like you're sick of capitalism and Western liberalism and neoliberalism and all those other things. And and it was the same with the uh, far right. They're just fed up with society. Like for them, it's not like they're going to be happy if you're suddenly allowed to tell politically Hmm. incorrect jokes again like that's not what it's about it's about they're fed up with the materialistic world too they think we need to have more um go back to values of the, of the spirituality or whatever and yeah and, and obviously the same with the radical muslims like it's all about upending what we have now
0: when you mentioned that you were You've written a, a newspaper article as the kind of genesis of this this book, but yeah. with a kind of more formal training, or at least what you're known for being TV and as a radio personality. Did you ever think would this make a TV series, or could it be like a, a serial style podcast?
1: Through what I learned through Murder in Mississippi, I kind of fell in love with this process, and I just feel like I can. I got into deeper and got into stranger places than I could get if I had to. Well, like, if you do a TV thing, like, you have to pitch.
0: With the crew and everything, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, but you also have to go through these, like, funding meetings and, like, 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 what's like the things I want to look into these days? I just have to, like, get out and start doing it myself without asking anyone. And that's, and that's a lot easier. Like, I'm not a camera guy. I'm a guy who knows how to weasel my way into little places and I can bring my dictaphone and my notepad and that, like, that's what I can, like I could wake up tomorrow and go somewhere in Australia or around the world and do that without asking anyone. And and lots of these things kind of start up with me just going off and doing it and then letting the commissioning aspect of it, I guess, uh, happen in the background. So I like that. And and also I I, I just think everyone these days has a camera phone and everyone's over in every second person seems to be over in Syria filming uh, (laughs) a, doco for vice magazine or something and and so it just seems like this, this is like a different way of of doing it
0: do you think that there's a advantage or a, a strength that comes out of it being a book for the reader as opposed to what they would get from a show or a podcast
1: yeah you, you just get more breathing room so like if i start off the book and and if i'm like poking around the quran and Violence in the Quran or violent passages in the Quran, and I'm getting making hay of that. You're looking at it and going, "Oh, there's still like 250 pages to go." I kind of bet John starts poking around at the the, the Jewish Torah too. You know, like Mm. it's like you're just given more. People are like more generous to you when you write things in books, I think.
0: And is that something that you think that you'll continue to do rather than TV series? Well, a
1: bit of it, kind of. Just what people want. I mean, I just have penguin on my case. so I had penguin <laughs> on my case, going, "We really want this," and and also, I, I think there's an element where with TV. I mean, this might be boring. I don't know what your show, your audience is listening uh, interested in, but <laughs> I, I do think there's an element where the kind of things I want to explore are really hard to do on government money because yeah. it's like. And, and like I, I think to be beyond left wing and right wing like I'm just looking at these other things and they're just complicated things that like, like just it's just really hard to to get someone who's on uh to agree to do it like, like for instance in this book and I, I bet you like you've read the book and I bet you yeah. didn't, you didn't particularly think this was highly controversial or whatever but I look at you know, oh, there's these passages in Muslim scripture that are like talking about shooting the Jews because oh, they're killing the Jews who are hiding behind stones tree. and trees. Yeah. Yeah. Then the stones and trees will talk and go, "Hey, Muslim, there's a Jew behind me. Come kill him or whatever." Right? And so, because it's out, I'm being commissioned by a company, a private company, Penguin. Like they're like that's they're fine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and I, ca- I can't tell you how. Like, you could just not get that up at the ABC. Absolutely. <laughs> like, if I said to them going, anyway, so I'm looking into the Quran. I wouldn't be able to get the, out the word Quran without <laughs> them, like, fainting. And then yeah. if I said this, but but then I kind of do it and it's all fine, like, because, you know, like, Muslims have read my book and they're fine with it. You know, it's not like I've stopped being invited to iftar's, or I've, I've sort of, like, thrown out my... Uh, Social justice credentials, but but there's just these raw nerves that you you can't get past the commissioning stage on Mm. the government money because, and and that's that. So that that's kind of almost like another reason why I enjoy talking about religion um, in this way because I can get away with more. I can say what I want to say as long as you know, because you can't can't cause offence anymore on government money.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it seems like your maybe key skill is getting these people to like you enough to talk to you. It does help you can say whatever they say and they're seemingly okay with it and without having to have anyone above you approve it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it has to be approved by Penguin, but it's like a different thing. Like, people at uh, ABC are so hyper-aware. Like, if you watch Media Watch, they're so hyper-aware of, oh, gosh, if you work for a Sunrise on Channel 7 or whatever, like you can't bag McDonald's because they're a sponsor or whatever, mm. but they're so narcissistic and... Oh, not narcissistic, just sort of like lack of self-reflection. They don't think, well, what can't I say because I'm on... Get the government coin. And, and that, that, they, they can look at it in a, the most literal way, like they can go, oh, well, you have to be balanced and you can't say this about the government or that. But, but when it comes to a more substantial way or or a subtler way and they they just can't see it like when when does when does media watch ever look at what you can't say on the abc beyond this sort of like real literal left-wing versus right-wing type paradigm
0: as far as going from speaking on camera and into a microphone to writing a book what was the biggest like what was the hardest part of that transition for you Because I know you you studied writing like at university. You've done some advertising and that kind of thing, but it's a completely different thing to tell a story, right?
1: I guess so. It's about so when I this is more almost like a Murder in Mississippi conversation, where like yeah, for a little (laughs) bit it was like about discovering my voice and then just trusting my voice, And, and a lot of it was reading other books and seeing how other writers say things so, so 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 there's finding your voice but then then actually when it comes to structure that's where i'm generally most not on a good footing i, I like for instance there's all this stuff about act one act two act three i've never i've read books on that i, I have no idea what that is <laughs> like it drives me crazy so what i do is i just read other books and try to soak up the architecture of how they tell stories and one of the things i like about non-fiction and about like in the case of *Murder in Mississippi*, but also some feature articles I've written, like *Chasing a Crime*. Is the structure just just things to do while you whilst you work out the structure? Like, oh, I'll visit the police station. I'll go to the street where the murderer used to live as a kid and door knock. And you just and so even though this wasn't a crime story, in a similar way, just turning up to these rallies and then following things and getting pinged around by the people at the rallies saying, oh, you should talk to this. Like, the structure was formed for me, and that really helped me. And I was also a lot more confident this time compared with my first book that I can just cruise along with structure a bit and kind of freak out later, you know, rearrange things later, or I can get the editor yeah. to rearrange them if um, to sort of, like, try to tell the story. But I, I still don't know. Like, I've written two books now, and I don't understand structure. <laughs> but, but, but somehow I've got two books and, and that's a bit of the editor putting things together. It's a bit of me going on instinct of sort of like what what
0: what works yeah. What
1: feels good like a lot of things is, is what feels right like the end of my book this doesn't really spoil it but it kind of ends on this frantic sort of thing where like people are I'm kind of hinting that things are kind of spiraling out of control. I've got this one guy who this Israeli defense force guy he's running this gym and then I, I go back and talk to the brother of a, a guy who's been arrested and the police are saying he's got connections with isis and it really is like i wrote it, and it felt like an ending and, and then if you put a gun to my head and said well explain why it ends there like like i tried other things you know like i tried oh i'll try a a more conclusive thing i, I just tried different things and, and just me and the editor were just like i don't know something <laughs> just feels right about that yeah but but to kind of have that kind of luxury of saying oh something just feels right about that like you just have to go out there and get so much stuff and really have confidence that there's substance to you know yeah. the whole book or whatever like yeah I, I don't think you can wing it without doing all the, uh, the the gritty work sure
0: and it's not really a topic that demands closure anyway, because it's ongoing and it's something that's still happening. And, I mean, the main takeaway for me was just this the irony and the hypocrisy in how similar all these extreme groups were to each other. Is that something that you were trying to portray?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess so. There was a... I, did, I was definitely, like, I, I really liked that kind of joke of these people are all meant to be white supremacists or these people are all meant to be... Like Pauline Hanson, white people from 20 years ago, and and me kind of pulling the rug from under that, and and it, like like that that like kind of like cheeky poking around at things and showing how multicultural things actually were even on the far right, mm. and and yeah, and just things like it's almost like I, I kind of don't even know how to justify, not justify, but explain. Like for instance, when a dude who's one of, you know, a, a leader of the far right talks about why he got into anti-Islam, and, and it's, you know, I, I went to order an Angus burger at McDonald's in Lakemba or wherever it was, and they said, oh, we don't have the bacon anymore because, you know, it, this store's gone halal, and it's just like, oh, that's that's like funny, interesting, you know, I just kind of plonk that in, and, and there's a lot of like plonking things into the story that just Seem funny or weird or ironic, and and you sort of that's why you tell the story. Yeah, and and actually, I've, I've read a few books since putting out this book, where I do realise I, I, re- I was, I'm reading this book called *The Fight* by Norman Mailer, and it's following I think uh, it's Muhammad Ali and I'm about to fight George Foreman, I think it is in the in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. And I noticed that when he writes about, for instance, like a training, he talks about Muhammad Ali training to receive punches as opposed to like lots of sports writers would write, like would talk about how he's punching and and that element of the training whilst Norman Mailer talks about part of training is learning how to absorb punches. And and, and so he kind of follows that story. And I just thought, oh, that's what makes interesting writing is like, you see things that other writers wouldn't see and, and then decide that's interesting. And yeah, so, so I, I guess in in this in my book, I, I, there, there were things where I just like saw things which I just made subjective judgments of these are the things that most writers don't write about. You know, like, the, I mean, the simplest example of that is instead of talking about all the white people at the first Reclaim Australia uh, rally, talk about the black guy who's on the microphone and try to get his story. Why is this non-white person at a, talking at an anti-Islam mm. rally?
0: Or the guy with the Asian wife or, yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, John, the, the last question I have for you is something I ask everyone on this show and it's, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Do anything and know that you wouldn't fail? Yes.
1: I, I, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm always like pretty excited. I, I'm often pretty excited about what I've just done or whatever. So, I don't know. I just continue writing books. Hmm. I'd love to continue writing books, but that's not... <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess. What stories I out
0: there that you want to tell? Like that you.
1: Well, I look, I look at other things, and I do think, oh, it would be interesting if I wrote some fiction. And so, I guess I'd do that. Okay, that can be my answer. I, I'd write fiction if I knew I couldn't fail.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I feel like I listen to a lot of you know punk rock and that kind of thing, and and as these bands get older, they record the token mature album. Do you feel like writing books is your mature phase? You've you've got the the pranks and things in the background now.
1: Oh yeah, but I don't I don't like that, that's like oh that's some cynical move from me <laughs> or some. I don't think that at all. I think it's more me being a ninja, huh. where I've like been doing this for twenty years, and I think like this book is just. Has kind of landed in a way that I'm just like people are talking about it, and and why is that? And it's because I look at the environment around me and I go, well, you know, when I started just doing this prank TV or doing this like was interesting, but now it's less interesting, like and 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 so it's really more me being a ninja and sort of like thinking how can I make my work vital rather than some like cynical calculation or and also, I think a book could be boring. Like, like, if my book was earnest or uninteresting, it's like this book has like poked around in things that just aren't discussed. So, so yeah. But, but, so, so I guess I'm saying yes to your question, but it's not <laughs> like cynical, uh, calculated thing yeah. or, you know, it's more like a vital thing for, for sort of like staying alive creatively
0: sounds good i look forward to the next one john cool thanks a lot thanks so much yeah i really appreciate the chance to talk to you
1: no worries okay see
0: you bye thank you for listening that was john safran you can catch him on twitter at john safran his new book depends what you mean by extremist is out now check it out it's a very good read you can catch me as always on twitter i'm at Owen himself until next time keep putting in work